Wonderful to see you all. Hello to everybody watching online. And a very warm welcome to our guests and to the family, of course, who have our, my family. It's so wonderful to see you, and thank you for joining us this morning. Well, we're continuing with our series, our Bible teaching series, and this is season two. The first season, if you remember, we were looking at Jesus' journey to the cross, and we were going by each stage of how Jesus ended up on the cross. And of course, from a human perspective, if you don't understand what's happening, it looks a disaster. You know, everything was going great, and then suddenly... Jesus gets arrested and crucified as if it had all gone wrong. But we see, don't we, that this was God's great plan. So Jesus, who never did anything wrong, died on the cross for our wrongs, so that as we trust in him, we can be forgiven, and we can get into God's big plan. And season two is now looking what God continued to do with Jesus, and what Jesus continued to do on earth, from heaven through his church. And just as Jesus preached and healed people when he was in his physical body, we see in the church, after he went back to heaven, he continued to communicate his message and heal people. And the message began to spread everywhere. But it caused problems, just like the people who wanted to crucify Jesus because they, he was threatening them, now they wanted to stop the church because the church was threatening them. And so we read a passage where Peter is arrested and his life is at threat. So let's read it together. Thank you. It was about that time that King Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval with the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Note that word, the church was earnestly praying for him. That night before Herod was to bring to tr uh, him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, and the sentries stood at guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter by the side, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought it, he was seeing a vision. They passed first, the, sec, the first guard, the second guard, came to the gate leading to the city. It opened by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered where they were praying. Peter knocked the door, 
of the outer entrance, and the servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. I love that. And explained, it's Peter at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When, they kept, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel, but Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned for his, uh, by his hand for them to be quiet. He described everything that the Lord, how it brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters. And then he left for another place. Absolutely amazing story. So James, the brother of John, the disciple, was arrested by Herod. Now Herod was going to um, cruise, um, try and execute Peter as well. And we read in this story something that wasn't mentioned with the arrest of James, and it was the fact that the church were praying. Now, we don't know when John was arrested if the church prayed. I presume they did, or some of them did. Or maybe because John had been executed, beheaded, it shocked them into action. Maybe when John was arrested, they were thinking to themselves, well, here's an apostle of Jesus. There's no way he's going to actually get killed before his time. And they didn't pray. And maybe they were shocked the fact that John was killed. And it was such a shock that they said, we can't let this happen to Peter. And the shock of it stirred them into what the Bible says, this earnest prayer. But one thing we know for sure because the Bible mentions that the church were earnestly praying, that prayer was linked to this miraculous escape. Prayer was linked to God's intervention in Peter's life. Now, here's the first point I want to bring to our attention this morning. There's a temptation not to apply the lessons that we learn from this story to ourselves. Because we think, Oh, yeah, I mean, God intervened in Peter's life because, let's face it, he's Peter the Apostle. I mean, I'm Julian. <laughs> you know? You're Mike. You're Adam. You're Sean. You're Naomi. You know I mean, he's not going to do the same thing for me because I'm not like one of these called apostles, these special people. Or we could think this. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing what Jesus did for Peter uh, in answer to prayer. But it was a life and death situation. I mean, he's not going to intervene in my life because it's not like I'm going to be beheaded tomorrow. I mean, this is just a, I mean, this is just a problem I've got. This is something I need fixing. This is such a difficulty in my life. This is a personal crisis I'm going through now. But you can't compare it to the scale of what Peter was about to experience and John had experienced. So that's why God answered that prayer. Neither of these reasonings are true. They're not true at all. Let me tell you why we can be confidently say they're not true and they don't apply to your life. It's because when Jesus healed people in his body as, as an example of what he can do, and he, remember he said, he who sees me has seen the Father. I only do and say what I hear the Father doing. So everything you hear and see Jesus doing, you know that that is the heart and the desire of God. Through Jesus, his son, who is God in the form of a human being. So when we look at Jesus, what do we look at Jesus? We see Jesus. Most of Jesus' miracles were for ordinary people. 
He's doing all the miracles with his disciples, through his disciples, for people like you and me. So we can't look at this and go, oh, it's a special case, Peter. No, you're the special case. I'm the special case. Most of the miracles that Jesus did, many of the miracles, rather, that Jesus did, we don't even know these people's names. Think of the wedding of Cana. We had a great wedding celebration yesterday, didn't we? Think of the wedding of Cana. Jesus is invited with his disciples. They've run out of wine. We don't know why. We certainly know that they drunk all the wine they had. Maybe they were a poor couple, and they couldn't afford a lot because these weddings did go on a long time. Jesus steps in. We don't even know their names. This is, it says, this was Jesus' first miracle that revealed his glory. This is like mega stuff. We don't even know the couple's names. And the fact that they run out probably means that they were a poorer couple. Not a wealthy couple. Not a people of great standing, so to speak, humanly speaking, in the community. Now, that's an encouragement for you. Think of the feeding of the 5,000. Amazing miracle. 5,000 people healed with a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. Ordinary people, men and women. When the little boy turns up with his picnic, who is that little boy? Who is he? Who's his mum and dad? What's his name? What school did he go to? Where did he live? I don't know. Do you know? We don't know. Just a kid. 5,000 people, just ordinary people like you and me. But it says that Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, seeing the crowds, <laughs> had compassion on them. Now, was it a crisis, life and death? No, they were just hungry. Was it a crisis? They just ran out of wine. But Jesus had compassion upon the couple because he didn't want them to be humiliated. It would be a great disgrace in that community. Jesus had compassion upon the 5,000 because they were men and women. They had a long journey back. It wasn't life and death. It was difficult. It was inconvenient. It wasn't life and death. They knew their way to home. They walked there and they knew the way back. But he had compassion. This is the one thing I've learned over many, many, many years with Jesus. He's the kindest person I know. And what he does, he doesn't do it because we're special. He doesn't intervene because it's life and death, although there are life and death situations that he intervenes in. Do you know why he intervenes in our day-to-day -day lives mostly? It's just because he has compassion. It says... In Matthew 6, don't worry about what to eat and what to wear. This is small stuff. This isn't life and death. Don't worry about what to eat and what to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And your heavenly Father, who, who cares about the birds in the air and feeds them, he cares much more about you, so he's certainly going to feed you. He's going to intervene for you in an everyday situation that isn't a crisis just because he cares. Because he has compassion. And I've learned over the years that God answers prayer just because he's compassionate. So one of the 
early ones, and we shared it yesterday at the wedding, was Matthew. Bring the slide up. Thank you very much. Next slide, please. Here, Matthew. He's about six years old. This was, I think this was the first wedding that Matthew went to with his sister and Chloe. You know what I mean. <laughs> Rachel and Chloe, and me and them with them. And see, now, okay, focus. <laughs> Thank you. If we want to get out here by one. Okay. Captain Blue. Matthew loved Captain Blue. He would carry it with him everywhere he went. And the evening was going on. The party was happening. And uh, Matthew came up to Sarah. It was, it was late evening. And he said, Mum, I've lost Captain Blue. Now, for this little boy, this was heartbreaking because he loved Captain Blue. He loved Tongs the Tank Engine too, but he particularly loved Captain Blue. So we looked all over the place for Captain Blue, and we couldn't find it. Forgive her if you've heard this story. So Mum, Sarah, took him outside, sat him on a little ledge outside, said, let's pray and ask Jesus to show us where he is, because like Adam says, he knows everything. So they prayed, and the Lord gave Matthew a picture in his mind, mind's eye of where Captain Blue was in a particular place in the car park, by the curb, and there was a black patch, and Matthew could see it clearly. So they went to this, where this particular place could be, and there, in the car park, next to the curb, next to an oil patch, was Matthew's Captain Blue. Now, why did God answer that prayer? Because it wasn't like a famine or something. It wasn't like life and death. Why did God answer that prayer? Compassion. For a little boy, that's all. Compassion. Let me show you another one. A number of years, uh, actually it wasn't a number of years later, but that Sarah and I, when we were going out with each other, we would go to this place, Tembe. And many of you have been to Tembe. And we went to this particular beach, South Beach. Massive, long, long, big, 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 big beach. We spent all day there. And Sarah, before we actually... Uh, went onto the beach with our picnic. She took off a watch that had been loaned to her by a lady from her church in Salzy, who was a widow and was a friend of Sarah's, an elderly lady called Ruth. And this watch had been given to her by her late husband. And Sarah's watch had broken, so Ruth loaned her a watch. But it meant a lot to Ruth. And Ruth meant a lot to Sarah. So Sarah, not wanting sand to get into the watch, got the watch and put it in her pocket. We were all day on that beach, walking to different parts, having a picnic there, going to the sand dunes, all day. At the end of the evening or the end of the day, we went up to the car park. Sarah, as she's getting into the car, went to get the watch. Gone. No watch. Somehow, she had lost it during some part of the day on a part of that beach. She said, I've lost Ruth's watch. It's on the beach somewhere. And I, I'm, this is me now. This is our compassion. I said, well, that's it. We're not going to find it. Let's go. There was no, I've got to be honest, there was no compassionate response in me because I knew we would never find that watch. I know that. I mean, you've been there. This is a blinking big beach. That's Hebrew for very large indeed. Really big beach. 
And so I looked at Sarah and said, oh, we're not going to find it, Sarah, let's get in. And, and she said, no, I'm going to look for it. And those of you who've been married any period of time will know this look. You know the look when you're not going to win. <laughs> you know that look. I am not going to win. So I said, I closed the door. I said, okay, then. I knew we wouldn't find it. I'm walking down the steps, which take you to the beach from the car park, and I prayed this prayer. And this is, I can remember it clear. Lord, you've got to help me find that watch or we're going to be here all night. That was it. The moment I prayed that prayer, I saw what was like a huge, a small YouTube clip in my mind's eye. And it, it was just seconds long, but I saw it. We're walking along the beach randomly. Suddenly, just randomly, Sarah starts going like this, looking just for no reason at all. And I, without thinking or premeditation, go down in one knee, bury, I don't know why I did this, buried my hand up to my wrist in the sand, closed my fist, pulled my hand out, opened it up, there was the watch. And what happened in reality, we're strolling along, and I think, I don't even know where to start. You know, I'm a bit annoyed, to be honest, because I don't want to go home. I don't even know where to start. And Sarah starts going like this, and without even thinking, I go down on one knee, hand in, pull it out, and there is the watch. There is, there is the watch. That is an amazing miracle. I am, this happened many, many years ago. I think about that when there's nothing good to watch on TV now. It's more entertaining. It's amazing. And I think, and I thought to myself when it happened, or recently after it happened, why? Why? Because he cares. He cares about Ruth. He cared about her heart. He cared about her loss. He cared that Sarah cared. He cared. He intervenes. Why am I telling you these stories? Because we can so dismiss the stories in the Bible that we don't expect God to do something for us. We'd like one more story? Another lesson. I'm telling you all my failures. <laughs> Another lesson. Some of you have heard this one. Blod. So those of you who know Blod. She came to with, us, her, with us at the late 70s. And uh, she went to one of our projects in the church, and a number of her friends had passed away, and she walked past church one day, listened to the singing, decided to come in. This is in the Penland building. She came to the service, chatted to a few people who were on the project, and at the end of it, she asked for prayer because she had arthritis in her hand. And it was bound up like this and stiff and painful, and she had to wear a contraption to keep it from closing up at bed at night. Prayed for her, and all the pain went. And over a course of a few days or so, it opened and the pain went and the swelling went and she got her hand back. She got full movement without any pain. And why that is remarkable is two things. Is that when she came up to me and asked for prayer, this is what went through my mind. Yeah, but you're 80-ish. You're old. And I, I was... I, I prayed for her because she asked me to pray for her. But my thinking was, would God heal an 80-year-old? of an 80-year-old's natural condition. Yeah? Yes. 
He did, and he taught me a big lesson. Big lesson. And then, the following week, she comes back. She asked, I think it was, you prayed for it, didn't you, Sarah? She asked for prayer generally, just general prayer. Then she goes home, switches the TV on, and she thinks it's broken because it's so loud. And what it is, she'd been deaf for 30 years in one ear, and she got healed. Why would God heal an 80-year-old woman of deafness of 30 years? Why? Because he has compassion. He has compassion. He wants to intervene and be involved in our lives in the day-to-day because he's compassionate. So, Jesus is willing to step into your everyday situation. And the more you ask him to get involved, the more he will. It says, they prayed earnestly. Now, to pray earnestly is to pray persistently and passionately. You pray persistently and passionately because it matters. That's when you pray persistently. And the Bible says, I love the Lord, for he heard my cry. A cry is a prayer with heart in it. The Lord hears your cry, your prayers with heart in it. There are times when we are really hurting, times when we really care about something. And those are the times to pray earnestly. God has compassion. Think of Hannah in the Bible, wanted a baby. And she was so painful about not being able to conceive that she couldn't even articulate the words. The high priest, when he saw her praying, thought she was a drunk woman staggering around, but it was her pain. She was so painful, she couldn't even mouth the words. But God heard her heart's cry. He heard her pain. He cared for her care. And he stepped into her life. Now, when we go through a hard time, and there may be many people going through a tough time now, there's two human responses. We either move away from God because we think you don't care, or we move to God because we know he does. Two responses. And I want to encourage you, in your most difficult times, in your broken times, in your hurting times, move towards God. Because he is a compassionate God. And he answers prayer not because you're something special. Well, we're all special. But not because we're like a, a Peter. Or not because it's necessary life or death. But he answers the big and small because... He doesn't measure something's important by the scale of it humanly. He measures it by the care of your heart. He's a wonderful father. And it says in Psalm 33, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Finally, the church prayed together and it was powerful. Now, there's power when a church prays in crisis. But I want to tell you something when there's more power. When a church prays in crisis, there's power. But when a church prays about something continually, that's more powerful. 
Because when a church prays about something continually, it moves from a one-off answer to prayer in a crisis to a culture of answered prayer. So let's take, for example, Jesus healed the sick with his disciples persistently over three years. Jesus healed the sick persistently with his disciples over three years, relentlessly. I mean, the pages are full of it. So is it any surprise that the the disciples and the early church now had a culture of healing the sick? No, because they pursued it persistently. And as you know, in our church here, because we have persistently prayed for people to be healed, we just don't see people healed now and again and think, oh, that was good, and wait for the next one. We see people healed all the time. But that can happen for any aspect of a work of God or the work of the Holy Spirit. When you pursue something in prayer persistently, it just doesn't become a one-off. It creates a culture or a canopy or an environment or an activity of God's presence in the group. So the church prayed earnestly, but they, they prayed in a crisis, but we see them praying consistently And so we see this activity of God spilling out of the church day to day. So, as we go through our series, can I encourage you to allow the life of the early church to inspire your faith? Can I encourage you to allow the life of the early church to fuel your prayer life? Let their example fuel your prayer life. Encourage your heart to pray in the moment. Help me find this. Heal my friend. Give me wisdom. Show me what to do. To pray continually and to pray because God is compassionate. To pray because he is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's stand and let me pray for you. Why don't you just open your hands and I'm going to invite the presence of God just to touch your life this morning. Do you know he wants to fill you with his presence and his love? And do you know why he wants to do that? Because he's a compassionate father. It says, ask and you shall receive. How much more? If a child asks a father for bread, will he give him a scorpion or a stone? No, he won't. He'll give him something good. And he says, how much more will the father, the father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask out of compassion? So just open your hearts. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, come now and touch every life. Come now, Holy Spirit, and fill 
hearts with peace and faith that the future is secure in your hands. That next job, that next move, I pray that you will bring peace and faith, that there will be no anxiety about the future. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring peace about complex and difficult situations. Um, I'm sensing in my heart that there's a work situation that some of you are anxious about. It's tricky. In fact, you don't actually like going, I don't know if you can go into work, but you're on Zoom now, but where you don't actually go, like going into work or into that situation, the environment. It's, it fills you with a sense of dread to have to go there. And uh, I believe the Lord wants to say to you, and you know who you are, just rest and trust me. Don't fret. Just trust me. And he'll sort it out. It's not going to come through your striving, through your meddling or managing. It's going to come through you resting and trusting. And he's going to do something behind the scenes that will alleviate the situation and remove the stress for you in that particular situation. I think it's about a person, there's some kind of conflict there, it's quite unpleasant. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray now in the name of Jesus Christ, your peace and your blessing will come upon each one and we will know your presence and compassion in our lives more and more, day by day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Please do take your seats. Thank you ever so much, Julian. Great encouragements there and a lovely challenge for us as well to enjoy the compassion of God, to know his intimacy in our lives. For you guys listening online, um, have a great weekend. Enjoy the sun while you're here. Get the barbecue out later on and enjoy yourselves. We're going to say goodbye to you now. So au revoir, a bit of French for you. Goodbye. Now then. Okay, so for us guys now, so we finish for today.